How we doing, Lincoln, and other cities in Nebraska, baby? Ooh, broken Bow, stand up. What up in Broken Bow? What up in Alliance? Gothenburg, it's your moment. Pender, stand up. How we doing in Shickley? Shickley, shout out to Shickley. I see you over there in Shadron. <laughs> I see you, Strang. <laughs> Strang. What up, Ord? Ooh, good, good shout. Get on your feet, Loomis. It's your time. How we doing, Crawford? I hear you out there in Bertrand. Whoa, Bertrand is a deep cut. Bertrand is a deep cut. Justin, when are we going to do a cover of Tupac's California Love oh with God. cities from Nebraska? <laughs> In the city, city of Alliance. In the city of Ogallala. God. <laughs> From Omaha to McCook, with McConaughey and back down. <laughs> oh, what a great start. Beautiful. Oh, my God. Welcome to Justin McIntyre, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Welcome, welcome, come one, come all to uh, the first pod of 2024. The new millennium is here. And, uh, oh, yeah. The new millennium, that's not how millenniums work. <laughs> I know. That's why I said it. Okay. I see. I see. And, uh, and, uh, stick to the, to stick to the script here. And that script is Nebraska ball. Yes, Nebraska ball. Yes. I believe God for the first time in this podcast history, a Nebraska ball centered episode is here. And that's because <gasps> we did something in 2024 that we haven't done since 1980 on the men's side. We beat the number one team in the country, mm -hmm. Purdue. Mm -hmm. And Apologies then, for not potting immediately after that. We were both pretty busy. <laughs> That's how we do. And uh <laughs> love that. So we beat number one Purdue at home. Wasn't particularly close either. The court was stormed for the first time in my waking memory. And a month or so later, because of our aforementioned busyness, we did not get to do Nebraska Ball Pod Part A, but thankfully the universe opened a door right after it shut a window, and Nebraska Ball came back from 19 down and beat number six Wisconsin in overtime at home again, because we'll get into that. Storm the court again, and we have, as of this moment, officially been upgraded on Joe Lenardi's bracketology from last four in to last four buys. So we are <gasps> one up of the group of last four in. Uh, it, it's, it might be time to talk tourney with this team because that's not nothing we have said since this pod's been a thing. That's nothing I was even thinking we were going to say about Nebraska that's not basketball. Something, that's not something we have said since Justin and I were in, I believe, the eighth grade or our freshman year of high school? That was eighth grade. I remember that. 
because let's back up, take a trip down memory lane to a decade Tim ago. Miles, right? Tim Miles, yes, in his second year as Nebraska ball head coach, one decade ago in 2014, had an incredible second half of the season run, which uh, concluded in defeating Wisconsin on the infamous no-sit Sunday, I believe. No-sit Sunday! And that stamped the Husker men's trip to the NCAA tournament for the first time since, like, the 90s. And in that tournament, we were a, I believe, 11 seed, one of the non-play-in 11 seeds or something mm-hmm. of that sort. And uh, we got to play Baylor. And Baylor that year had a lot of injuries and were way better than a six seed. Case in point, they have three guys from that 2014 Baylor team that are still in the NBA. Not That's three insane. guys who made the NBA. Three guys who are still in the NBA. They're not like superstars or anything, but you know, to stick around seven, eight years in the pros, you gotta be good. You gotta, you gotta be, be good, good enough to be good. And I remember you that don't have game. To be great. Yes, you gotta keep the lights on. Yeah, those gentlemen have kept the lights on. Yes, and, and we salute them for it. And, and I, I remember, remember that game against Baylor. Because that was the, like, of course we get the early slot, so, like, we can't watch it because we're in school, but that was one of our weird, like, 1.30 dismissal days, I think. Yes. So, and we had page one that day for some reason, too. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Holy shit, I forgot about that. Yes. I remember watching this game with you on a smart board, but for some reason I thought it was in Medna's room. No, that was in the library. No, it was in the very nice library. Yes, very nice library. And I remember, like, we were getting killed for most of it because Baylor was really good that year. And at one point in the second half, we made a run and, like, got a dunk to cut the lead to six. And I remember that moment because in that moment, I experienced a type of joy that was unique from any other type of joy I have experienced before or since the we might win a game in the NCAA tournament joy. I'm not going to say that that's the greatest joy that my sports fandom could ever experience, but it is a unique one. And I have never gotten back there since. And I am sort of expecting to get there this year. To the late. Baylor ended up running away with it after that. But I remember that. I, I remember being crushed, but I remember also there was so much optimism about next year under Tim Miles at that point, or like the ways that Tim Miles could build forward. And he just, he was not the curse breaker, right? And I think it's interesting because Hoiberg had his like, I am not the curse breaker vibe before it looked like he could do this. Like no one expected this team to be this good. Am I correct about that, Justin? No, it it, it kind of looked like the past few Nebraska ball seasons where on paper, yeah, this looks kind of good. But like, if you expect anything out of us, uh, good luck. Like, yes, mm-hmm. we get Tomi Naga back. That's huge. We got some smart transfers. Yeah, on paper, it looks like it's going to work. But when when has on paper ever translated to on court throughout Fred Hoiberg's tenure? Like, this wasn't like Tim Miles. And Tim Miles' problem was that he peaked too early. If he made the tournament in year four or five, he's probably still here. 
but we expected him to make it again sometime soon after he made it in his second year, and he just never did, including, I believe, the year that he got fired. That was the year it's like, okay, we've got all these guys who are like seniors, upperclassmen. This is what we've been building towards, and it just didn't work. Nebraska, under Hoiberg, has kind of been building up and tearing down every every single season. There's maybe like two or three guys who you take with you from one year to the next. And we've mm-hmm. got maybe, I think, two or three guys on this team who we've been building for multiple years now. So surrounding those guys with the right transfers and role players, that should be a recipe for the tournament. But I didn't expect anything like that to happen because I don't expect anything. They've shown me nothing to expect. They've lost 20 games and seasons way more times than they've threatened to make the tournament under Hoiberg. Yeah, I think there's something really interesting. So I now cover basketball, which means I've had to learn a thing or two about basketball, which has translated to a lot of things, but one of them was watching part of winning time. Uh, Because also, I hit the bottom of content a while ago, and I was like, sure, I will watch this widely panned and canceled uh, HBO show. Um, But like, the thing about winning time is they built a recipe where they're like, this is going to work. And we know it's going to work. And like all of the logic and they can explain why everything on the court is happening, right? To almost a painful degree, right? Fred, when asked after this game, like how did that comeback happen? Justin, what was his answer? I don't know. No, let's be clear, dear reader. Justin is not saying that he doesn't know. He's saying that the answer was, I do not know. Fred Hoiberg said he doesn't know how that happened. If I'm Fred Hoiberg, and this is a question for you, Justin. If I'm Fred Hoiberg, am I stressed uh, that I will not be able to replicate that ever again in my career and thus actually have sowed the seeds of my own destruction by setting expectations too high? Great question. Uh, I do also want to point out that in the cinematic recap of the game that just dropped on YouTube, uh, Hoiberg said something in the pregame presser the, the, the day before that I didn't catch until I watched this video, which was uh, our, our sports science guys gave us this uh, minutes uh, plan and game plan, and I threw that all out the window. Just <laughs> So we're running on pure vibes based on everything he said before <laughs> or since. Just go go out there and play. And uh, what I think Fred has done with these two big wins, the expectation for this season is to obviously make the tournament. But if you've watched how this team plays on the road, uh, there's a good chance we don't because we'll lose too many stupid games away from the vault. And the Big Ten last year, got eight teams in the tournament. This year, it's looking like five or six Big Ten teams are going to get in the tournament. So it's kind of, uh, you know, if, if we played this good last year, we'd be shoe-ins, but there's a chance we could play good enough to make the tournament in some years, but not others, and have this just be a, a weak enough Big Ten around us that we miss the tournament while still having a good year. And then next year, is- the expectation becomes get into the tournament. And I actually think that's kind of good for Fred Hoiberg in a way because uh, 
before we started winning uh, against Purdue and Wisconsin, we lost on the road to like bottom of the Big Ten barrel, Minnesota. And in my mind, I'm like, how much longer are we going to keep doing this with Fred Hoiberg? It's it's just I don't have high expectations for Nebraska basketball, so I don't know what the sign is to fire a guy. But in my head, I'm like, how much longer can we keep doing this before change for change sake, even if nobody can win here? So I think Fred, by getting these two wins, has said a this year or next year, you make the tournament. And that probably should make you nervous as a coach. But at the very least, uh, you know when the rug is getting pulled if you don't perform. Because Fred could, you know, lose 15 to 20 games the next two years and we wouldn't know if his job's in jeopardy because that's just kind of how the team always looks he's given us really no reason to believe you know yeah like in a very real way he set the clock right like he he by proving he can be good by proving that nebraska can win basketball games i think the thing is this also opens up a fan base's appetite a lot more like, yes, this Wisconsin win was huge, but I think particularly the Purdue win. I also want to say something. Last year, we had a pretty solid win against a solid, solid Purdue team. I think it's time to ask yourself if Fred Hoiberg has Purdue's number. I believe you're thinking or, of Wisconsin because we lost to Purdue in overtime last year. But it was but it was very close. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was not a win, but it was very, very close. Has Fred Hoiberg figured out the Big Ten in an interesting little way here? Or at least a couple of those powerhouse schools? Because, yeah, that's the next thing I was going to segue to is we're 3-1 and one in the last four against Wisconsin. Is that correct? Yes. That's insane. That's a damn good basketball program. That's a perennial tournament appearance, kind of like pie in the sky what we wish Nebraska ball could be. Yeah, that's a very interesting point. Is he dialed into his spot right now? Right, There are schools, let's be honest, there are even Power 5 schools who would be happy to say, we don't have to make the tournament, but it would be crazy to beat the number one and the number six team in the nation every once in a while to compete with those guys. Okay. There's, there are schools who would be happy with a Fred Hoiberg my question is, does Hoiberg's setup here mean that it's particularly important that he stays at NU? Oh. That he doesn't lose this job. Does that make sense? In in, in, in a sense, yes. I I think there is something to that. And and but also like this is, I believe, year seven of Hoiberg, six yeah. or seven. So I think him just sort of starting to learn the conference he's in in year six and seven is uh i don't know i know the big Ten's good but i don't know if it's that good to where the learning curve is six years i think there just might be a chance that uh fred's coaching style is suited for a sort of six-year rebuild of quite literally the worst power five uh, men's basketball program in the country to the point where after stripping the thing for parts for the first four years, he was finally able to get the group of guys who would one day flip the switch into something respectable. And in doing so in the process, 
figured out Purdue and Wisconsin just because watching the same film for six and seven years because Purdue and Wisconsin are very stable coach situations. Greg Gard and Matt Painter have been there forever. And especially those two teams sort of have the similar types of guys on their court every year. Purdue always has some six, some seven foot six Eastern European freakazoid. Wisconsin's always got a nice mix of a farm boy, white guys, and then NBA draft lottery picks, you know? Yep. 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 You got, you got the, uh, the magic bird combination working at Wisconsin. And as you put so eloquently, the freakazoid thing happening at uh, Purdue. Purdue. And if you can, if you can isolate a freakazoid and if you can pick through a Wisconsin offense on defense, and if you can have your own uh, Japanese freakazoid, right, a different a different brand of freakazoid, if you will, um, and if you can, because this is the thing, how how are you going to watch tape on this Nebraska team? It's earlier games this year, like you just have no idea. Like fans feel the same way. I I rarely watch these games because Husker basketball stresses me out so much, like. It's a it's a terrifying style of ball to watch. I don't know if you feel this way, Justin. You're you're much more like you enjoy the chaos of sports probably more than I do. Yes, I, I'd say that's fair to say. Uh, I think uh, I don't know. I'll view Nebraska ball as a sort of stressful experience uh, this year, mainly because of uh, the home road divide, and I sort of know what I'm going to get. I know this is a team that when it plays in Pinnacle Bank Arena can beat anybody in the country at any given time. Like, I see every player's role. I see why they work. Like, this team looks like a coherent squad on the court when they're playing at home. Then when they're playing on the road, they're making nothing. They can't pass the ball. They're giving up open threes, open layups down low. It's just like two very different teams. And I've seen enough evidence to know what team will show up where to the point where nothing can really surprise me as long as it stays within those boxes. Like if we got blown out at home, that would be worrying. And if we won big on the road, that would be thrilling. You know, those are kind of the two camps I'm in. So yeah, that's, Okay, your expectations game is really specifically tailored to this group of players. Yeah. What is, and I'm sorry, I'm asking a lot of questions, um, frankly, because Justin knows so much more about this sport and also this team than I do. What, what is the vault magic, baby? What is, what is the arena juice? Is it, is it those incredible fries that they sell there? If you haven't had the fries at the arena, you need to have that experience, by the way. Just that's like a, a Husker fan 101. Like, the fries there are so good. It's <laughs> a good point. Uh, I don't believe I'm, I've probably had those. I've been in that arena many, many times. I've probably had those once upon a time. But now when I'm so. there, uh, I get catering because uh, flex. So we Ooh, do you do you have a press pass for basketball, too? Oh, no, I I go there for the state tournament. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought you were saying you, you had like a, like a Husker basketball press pass. I do for uh 
women's basketball, which we are losing 60 to 49 at home to Rutgers, who is 0-10 in conference right now. We can... Brutal. I should turn on some basketball. I think Houston's playing right now. Yeah, Houston's good. I like the school of Houston. I don't know why I've built an affinity for them. They've had some fun damn teams. I like that. If I slam a jam. Yeah. <laughs> Where were we? Oh, Pinnacle Bank Magic. Yes. So I think this team's just kind of too comfortable at home in a way like the the home crowd is great we sell out that place way more than a team with our track record probably should Mm -hmm. and so i think that helps and i think just kind of the familiarity because you play because our team is kind of led by guys like tominaga and gary and wiltshire who have been playing in that arena for multiple years now, as opposed mm. to just one road game a year. So I think just kind of the familiarity has just grown and grown to the point where they're just too comfortable at home because they've been there so much and done that so much to they just get more confident there and are able to dig themselves out of the holes and whatnot and haven't really yeah. figured out how to replicate that yet because they've had no real... Uh, they haven't put in their dues enough on the road for that to happen, which in a uh, college basketball season, you really don't get the chance to do. But I don't know. I think that's just kind of how Fred Hoiberg rolls in a sense. Sure. Yes. I, I think we do have to just chalk some of this up to the Hoibergler, right? Yes. Um... And, like, I I love a team that, that you can't explain. I love a team that is just pure secret sauce. Um, and that's that's how I think I feel about these guys, right? Is that, like, we got a guy named, like, I can't even pronounce his name, like, Rink? Rink Mast. Rink Like, Ice Mast. Rink Mast of a Ship. Rink that's Mast. not real. That's not... A real name, man. That's not real. Like he's Dutch. Of course, it's not real. Oh my god! Have you seen that tweet? Speaking of the Dutch, have you seen that tweet from the? We been having a serious problem. Oh, those kooky Dutch. Those kooky Dutch. I've been I've been Duolingoing German this year, uh, and like, it like it's actually a hard language to learn. And sometimes I'm like, what if I just did Dutch, which is just fake ass German sound in English. The, Max Verstappen, uh, like, clearly is a better driver because while the rest of them have to learn English, he already knew it. He just had to stop being a silly little guy, TM. Just stop doing double E's in every word, and, you, and you're great. Yes. Yep. Why are you learning Deutsch? Uh, Nikki majored in it. Oh. Uh, and I am like, well, it would be cool to be able to talk to my girlfriend in a language uh, that no one else knows. Like, you it's hear kind of that like... rest of you hear that uh, the country who's our second most listened listeners are from. Nobody knows your language. No, it's like, but seriously, but like, okay, so so the idea occurred to me a couple of years ago to learn uh, German at Arches National Park, right? I've been uh, there. We, it's a great, it's a great national park. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's in the mid tier. We'll do a national parks episode someday. I have thoughts, but like, 
Arches, Arches is good, and we were walking on the like most famous trail up to Delicate Arch. Have you taken this trail, Justin? It's I forget what was called what. I just saw okay. a bunch of. Do cool you remember rocks. the license the license plate arch? Yeah, absolutely. It's on the welcome sign too. Read the article. It's out now. Thirteen thousand words, all on welcome signs. It's a behemoth. I'm so glad I gave you that beautiful, beautiful segue to talk about that. Everyone should go read it. LMAO Tottenham lost to Everton. That's what I mean. And just going to get fired. And then he's going to come work for us and do the right thing. Because anyway, we'll talk about that later. Um, Shout out to the Everton women's team. Oh, no, they drew. Eleanor the Dale Ever- Husker no, not- signed with them. We don't care about them. And she is a traitor. She's um, British. I don't care. I don't care. She's playing for Everton. It's evil. I believe it's Everton. If 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 I'm wrong, I probably just committed the cardinal sin of Europe. What is her name? Eleanor Dale. She came and played American college soccer. Yes, here was like the best soccer player we've seen in forever. No, you're right, and I hate her. Yep, she's playing for Everton now. Disgusting. He scored a Disgusting. goal against Stamford. Nobody scores against Stamford. I mean, she must be great. I wish her the worst. <laughs> Liverpool are Everton's biggest rivals. I have to make this clear uh, for those who don't follow it. So so my team hates her team. But yes, <laughs> obligatory, good for Nebraska sports. Also good for women's soccer. Uh, the, the women's prem is, is a fantastic league. Uh, it's go Liverpool women who have been really good in the last few years. That, that's my official comment on this. Where Duke were we? Carolina tonight? Yeah. I don't know. I'm about to get all distracted again. That'll be a good game. That'll be a good game. Be. And then Tennessee, Kentucky? Damn, why did I agree to do things tonight? That I regret that choice. That <laughs> sucks. Uh, anyway, uh, where were we? German? German. Learning German because of Arches National Park. We heard this family speaking German, and I was like, that's the first time I've ever heard people speak German in the United States in public. And then I was like, wait, no one would have known what we were talking about ever. And like that, that would be great to just have like, like I realized that basically we could know basically a secret code for like 90% of the world if if I just learned the code. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about the time uh, I attended a conference for German teachers? I vaguely, why were you there? Okay, so freshman year of college, I took this class called Intercultural Communications as part of a comm minor I impulse added. And part of- I also added a a comm minor as an impulse add. Did you finish yours? Yes, yes, I did. So- (gasps) I absolutely did not finish mine, but that's great. So as part of our curriculum, once every semester or so, we have to have a, a cultural experience where we just- experience some culture that's not our own and uh write a report on that and i was procrastinating one so so bad and then it was like the week it was due and there was just nothing on campus except for german week i'm like okay cool german week shout out to germans i've got that somewhere in my blood so at the last day of german the last Are you not a German, German from Russia? Yes, I'm a German from Russia. Check out the museum. So, Go to the museum. I'm not kidding. It's a banger. Yeah. So the last day of the week was like 
the hands-on German experience. I think it was called something along those lines. So I show up and then very instantly, I kind of uh, slowly realize, instantly and slowly realizing not the same thing, but I said it in the same no. sentence, that uh, this is meant for people who are studying to be German teachers. They were telling me things I could teach my students, games we could play in class, and I was just sitting there. <laughs> and then they played us a they would play us videos that would be all in German. So I was like looking around the room for a reaction so I'd know when to giggle or when to look sad. Cause I just I knew none of the German things. And then eventually it I was there for like over two hours and it was still going on. So I just dipped when they uh played a played a video and wrote about that. And then the kicker was that uh, our teacher gave us like a one month extension on the assignment because nobody had gotten theirs done. Mm -hmm. So I just essentially attended that for no reason. So did you go to a different thing or did you write it about that? I wrote it about that. Why Why would I, why would I make those two hours in vain? Yeah, that's so fair. That's so, that's such a long time to sit and know nothing. That's, yes. that's kind of beautiful. Okay. We, we've got one minute left. You, you, oh, oh God. You mentioned that you've been learning German. The floor is yours, uh -huh. Nick. As much German as you can say in a minute. Go. Uh, yeah, we have a serious problem. Uh, no, uh, let's see. Uh, ich bin uh, Nick. Ich bin aus California. Uh, Hesa means cheese. And du hast meek. What is du hast meek? It's a song by Ramstein. Oh, yeah, Rammstein's great. And um, also, if you're into German punk, check out uh, Vizo. W-I-Z-O, really good band. And, um, oh, God, what's that other, what's that? It's like D-something. D Dusseldorf. Um, D-Arze. Uh, is another good German punk band I've been really into. Boom. <laughs> so... Next segment. So, <laughs> Nebraska men's basketball had its two biggest victories in recent memory. So, since the time we potted last, did the football team. The prodigal son has returned home. Dylan Rayola, the number two quarterback in the country, unless you're 24-7 sports, who has him at number one, a consensus five-star recruit, the highest recruit Nebraska has gotten since recruiting sites started giving ratings to high schoolers, which was right after Nebraska stopped being good, has committed to Nebraska football. Having a bunch of really good football players in the 90s, there was a chance that some of them would have kids who were also really good at football, and that they would have some degree of affection to the program their dad played for and maybe want to play for us one day. That bet has finally paid off. And So bad. So bad that they might want to write terrible poems about it. Okay. But before we get into anything else, was that poem AI or not? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You can say a lot of things about artificial intelligence. 
The thing you can't say is that it doesn't have that kind of sweatiness. AI is not that sweaty. Only human beings. That that was art. And I mean that not as a compliment. I mean that as a fact. That was art because you could feel the dirt under its fingernails as it crawled its way to some sort of miserable mediocrity. That made me angry. I, like, it was so offensive to me that they would, oh my God. Oh my God. Furious. Furious. Disgusted. Disgusted. For what it's worth, I remember that was not a Dylan original. He got that from some fan or his pastor. I can't remember which. And then thought it was good enough to use. So he's not totally blameless in this scenario, but the word choices were not that of our quarterbacks. No true man of God could bring you this. Like if it was a pastor, but like, yeah, this is also more insulting. That means that he read this and he's like, oh, this is pretty damn good. I'm going to share it on Twitter. Yeah. Oh my God. He better be able to play football. Uh, because if not, I want nothing to do with him. I want nothing to do with him. Oh my God. Uh, fine. 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 Yeah. He, he really better be a good quarterback. He better pan out. Cause like he's starting on a personal level. Like, okay. You know how quickly I can turn on Nebraska quarterbacks. Yes. We've seen that over the years. I, I just like, Bad quarterbacking evokes an ire from me that I can't explain. Like again, like Casey Thompson, sure he's a good guy, was absolutely ready to just be like leave the state and never come back multiple times. Yeah, he he, he better he better play some good ball. And, and it sounds by all indications that he will. Tell us a little bit about him, Justin, that, that we don't know so far. Yeah. So as I've as I've after mentioned, a uh, very uh, highly touted quarterback recruit uh originally an ohio state commit then allegedly scott frost was set to flip him or was set to get him to commit initially who knows the order of things all i know is that uh what happened next after scott frost was going to get him to commit he went on a trip to arizona where the rayolas are and the day ahead of his meeting, uh, Scott Frost got really drunk on a golf course, requested them to delay, and they were so insulted that uh, they swore that they would uh, break all contact with Nebraska until Frost was fired and Frost was fired. Rule got in there, initially got Rayola in our good graces again. He showed up to basketball games. We gave him the Hollywood red carpet treatment, but he committed to Georgia, the two-time defending national champions. All well and good, even, but at least getting the kid to talk to us was a uh, W. But around the time the season ended and Nebraska had a serious quarterback problem on their hands, we looked at the transfer portal for an answer. Because our quarterback plan of the future, Bellevue West Danny Kalen, is not really a day one guy who you can plug and play as a true freshman. So there were all sorts of rumors, Ohio State's Kyle McCord being the chief among those, and it looked like that was going to be a signed, sealed, delivered deal until word got out that we were talking to Rayola and that he was actually the signed, sealed, delivered deal, and Rayola committed, McCord did not, no transfer quarterbacks in this class unless we add someone after the spring, which I think is unlikely. The plan seems to be rolling with Rayola, and 
that's the timeline for those, I guess, unaware. Uh, that's what I know about. I'm not very good at talent evaluations as from high school to college. I'm, <laughs> I will say this though. You'd much rather have the second pick in the NFL draft than any pick below it. And if college football recruiting worked like the NFL draft and we had the second pick, this is absolutely who everyone would take with the second pick. Is the number Margola. one pick being whom? Arch Manning? No, Arch Manning was the class before. The, oh, I see. Julian Sayan, a quarterback, committed to Alabama, flipped to Ohio State after Saban retired. So. Interesting. Yes. Oh, God, we haven't talked about that yet. Jeez. No. <laughs> so, I, I will say that there's a chance he doesn't pan out. I mean, you can go down the recruiting rankings and look at top quarterbacks who weren't all that. Hell, uh, Malachi Nelson, the aside from Arch Manning, the best quarterback in last year's class, transferred after one season of never seeing the field at USC and is going to Boise State. A great, great program in Boise, don't get me wrong, but that is a power five to group of five drop after one season for a guy who was supposedly the number two quarterback in the country. They don't always pan out, but you have higher odds with guys panning out the higher up on the chart you go. So I think that this is a really good bet for Matt Rule. Even if even if it doesn't pay off, the logic is sound. There's no sure thing in college sports. So taking a swing on a pitch you have a very high comparative to other pitches hitting percentage with, I think this is a great idea for our future. No idea if it works, but I lean more yes than no that he is going to be a quarterback who is good enough that we're not worried about the quarterback position. And that could lead to crazy things for this team if we want to fantasize down that road. But we well, don't know yet. My, no, it's it's probably too early, although although we'll get to a little bit of it because, God, I really want to do it. Um, Here's my biggest question. Transfer portal. Israel exists. What are the odds that that we become a stepping stone of a Riola career at a place like Georgia, at a place like Ohio State, instead of he's here four years, we're going to retain him? What, I, what, what does that look like? I think if Riola turns out not to be the problem at the quarterback position, but everything else around him becomes the problem, then I think he he there is a chance he goes. I mean, the man has committed to uh, three different colleges in his high school career. He played at three high schools in three different states. So it wouldn't be without precedent for him to flip his mind. And I think if I, I think the primary motivation for a very, very large chunk of uh, college football players and high school recruits getting into college is how do I go to the NFL? And if Rayola is uh, thinking that another school could give him a better chance at the NFL after he's given the earnest try to uh, let me save Nebraska football and restore my father's legacy and all the sports movie tropes that are going into the decision that led to a poem being written. If that's not working and if he's like NFL scouts aren't going to be impressed with me getting seven and eight wins year one and year two or what have you, 
then yeah, I'll go play with the best receivers and best O line and whatnot. So I, I think this just amps up the pressure on us to build a competent team around him. Because I think that uh that's the only reason he will leave is if that he has NFL dreams. He is good enough to be an NFL quarterback, but we just cannot give him the tools to show NFL scouts that this is a serious first round pick kind of guy. And, and if he can do that here, that's because we have enough around him to where he can show NFL teams that he can be a first round pick. All right. So are we going to do that? I mean, that's the next question. Are, are the pieces falling into place or is there still a long way to go? What does that look like? I can see how it would work. Uh, sort of lower down the list on our recruits. I think, Two of our next best recruits were O-linemen. We got the top O-linemen in the state of Iowa. Granted, incoming freshmen, you've got to develop linemen and whatnot, but the offensive line is a priority for this team. We do have a plan in place there. We've got truckloads of wide receivers who are all young. So if we just hit on two or three of those guys, he's going to have a good wide receiving core as he grows in his Husker career. So I think those two questions could be answered with the guys we have building up it through the pipeline and the good old Matt uh, rule way of doing things of the, you know, rebuild, get your guys, you coach them up year to year, they grow, you grow as a team, all that good stuff. I think it could work, but it's Nebraska. <laughs> I mean, there's always the chance that we're we are legitimately a, a cursed program with no no hope and that we drain the talent out of everybody we come across and that our freshman players don't turn out to be much more than what they showed us in the freshman year there's a chance that happened i i don't know i i, I i've got feet in both camps right now so i can't really uh give you a definitive answer. I can just tell you how it will work and how it won't work. No, I think it's good to be honest with folks that like, there's so much ambiguity right now still, right? Like this is a W and I don't want to make it sound like it's not as a W because just the fact that we were able, even with the Nebraska connection, because people are going to say that that cheapens what this says about Matt Rule's recruiting. Mm -hmm. What I would actually say is you only get the relationships that you have, right? And the fact that he was able to take a Scott Frost hangover and parlay it into, hey, no, come home. It's okay. We want you here. This is a place with a competent – because, again, like, maybe all the Rayolas we're looking for was someone competent at the pill, right? But being that steady hand to someone who doesn't trust requires hyper-competence. And, like, even if, like, think about how hard it was and how hard it still is for Rule to win the trust of fans. I have to imagine the Rayolas were in a similar situation with him. And he clearly pulled that off. That's pretty goddamn impressive. And mm -hmm. no matter who you are, no matter if you're another school telling us this doesn't matter, no matter if you're an absolute Husker doomer saying that is going to be a flop, you have to hand it to Matt Rule. He did what was expected of him here, and that's freaking hard. Yes. I'll also say this. 
all of the family connections and whatnot and Matt Rule doing the right thing, that got Rayola here. He also doesn't come here if we're not serious about our NIL. And this shows me that we're serious about our NIL. Like, Rayola's going to make he big is money gonna here. He's going to get paid. He is going to make so much money. Yes. As, as soon as he's on campus, I the deals are going to fly. You're you're going to be hearing about him more than you already are. So Amigos will now be renamed Dylan. <laughs> not Dylan. Kittles will be just, named Rayolas. No, I like not Dylan's, not Rayolas, just Dylan. One word. <laughs> For... Hey man, you want to go get a crisp meat at Dylan? Scott, have you tried the ranch at Dylan? I love Dylan's Ranch. I would drink Dylan's Ranch just like out of the cup. It's not Dylan's Ranch. It's the ranch from Dylan. The ranch from <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Do you prefer Rayola's Ranch, Dylan Ranch, or Runza Ranch? Sponsored by Dylan. Dylan Rayola. Runza Ranch sponsored by Dylan Rayola. <laughs> oh my god. We're serious or, about NIL here in Nebraska, baby. Or or if you're not feeling any of those things, we could go to the volleyball game and we could eat a Fairberry Frank brought to you by the Rayola Foundation for Dylan's. For Dylan's everywhere. If you're if you're a high schooler named Dylan. And you, you need some guidance in your life. Come on down to the Rayola Foundation for Dylan. We're pro Dylan. We're pro Dylan. God. Chilling with Dylan. Wheeling and Dylan. Dylan and Pillin. This can be a political thing too. Ooh. <laughs> Look at that. Look at that. We've got we've got a, a campaign. How does the FEC feel about NIL? Can Jim Pillen's campaign pay Dylan Raiola for commercials? Oh my God, that is a... <laughs> the Supreme Court NIL case you never thought was coming. You know, knowing America, I'm surprised that hasn't came up before. Dude, like, I... college football is low-key the most political sport in America, and I think that's what makes it kind of so fun. But you could make the argument to me that it's the NBA. Right. But I think that's a very particular kind of like politics and discussion. Right. Like the NBA is probably America's sport of like racial politics. Right. Yeah. College football is the like town and gown, like Iowa truck stop, like messy primary politics that yes. America has in a okay. sport form. And it's delicious. It's the most American thing. It is. It really is. Um, in all the good and bad ways. But yeah, we 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 digress as we tend to do. So, is he is he the starter? I mean, are we having a conversation, or is it because everybody else freaking dipped? Oh yeah, uh, Chuba's gone. Uh, to, bye Chuba. Bye Chuba. Went to San Jose. Then they hired a triple option guy, so he went to Nevada, where his brother's going to be playing in the Super Bowl. I still can't. Hey. Yeah. Bang, bang, Niner gang. 
Oh, I, I can't believe Brock Purdy became a steady hand in the pros. I watched him at Iowa State. The man once fumbled a pass he threw. System quarterback, baby. Whatever that means. Yeah. I just it makes it makes football people so mad. That's what I love so much about him. They're so pissed. I don't get it. Yeah. I don't get why a bunch of football people are rooting against Brock Purdy. I think it's probably because there he is an MVP finalist, which doesn't really match up with the level of talent he has. But it's like, this is a man who was the last pick in the NFL draft, starting in a Super Bowl. Uh, That's why so do you good let, for the sport. Yes. Why do you let what yokels who praise him say affect your view of what is just objectively the scrappiest underdog story we've seen in forever anyways uh yeah rayola is the starter day one uh you don't want to risk him transferring due to lack of playing time you're already worried enough about transferring due to lack of talent around him you're not uh not at all really entertaining a competition between rayola caitlin and harburg you're going to say it's one but if he's healthy the starter is going to be rayola Okay, I'm just... So is a 19-year-old child ready for this? Well, this isn't without precedent for Nebraska. I mean, Adrian Martinez was the starter right away as a true freshman. And before he got injured against Colorado, he looked pretty good. As well as the aforementioned many times on the show, if we play that Akron game, who knows how that first year turns out. And that is with true freshman National Adrian champions. at the helm. So... The answer to that is national champions. Exactly. Scott Frost statues built. So, like, yeah, you're right. Okay, okay. So this is just we're we're oh god, it's it's happening. It's happening. Yes. This is what hope feels like. And I'm remembering it now. This is far too early to do this, but if you want to play the schedule game, look at our first seven weeks of the season. <gasps> please do, please do read them off to us, Justin. All right. <laughs> this will be the last before we transition into uh, European sports. Our opening game. The past few seasons, we've opened with a conference game on the road or in a foreign country and lost embarrassingly in a standalone time slot. Oh, no. Do we have to do that again? Nope. We blend in with everybody else. Week one game against UTEP. Beautiful. Beautiful. One and oh. Home opener next against Colorado. Oh boy, that's going to be weird. Let's move on. That that uh, coin flip, who cares? Uh, home against Northern uh, Iowa after Colorado. This isn't even like peak Northern Iowa. That's a win. Then. Two W's. Home against Illinois. Away against Purdue. Home against Rutgers. Away Three, at four, Indiana. That's Six. the first seven. Six out of seven or seven out of seven. Yeah. It's got to be. It's, there's no way we don't. If we don't, that rule is going to be crucified. <laughs> I know. Oh, God. Talk about expectations game. Yeah. So I'm just preemptively getting nervous about every single uh, one of those seven games because uh, <laughs> the expectation is with that quarterback at the helm, with our number one problem of last year being the quarterback position uh, gone, allegedly, uh, six or seven should be the expectation of that stretch. 
and uh, we're no longer playing with house money like we were in Rules Year One. Uh, the expectation now is that a program headed the right direction get six or seven in that stretch. And if not, that means some serious things are happening in the other direction. And I don't want to do unpack those. There? No, we're not unpacking those yet. We're feeling hopeful because we should get six or seven of those. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so then what's next? What's next? Where are we at? We're at, we're at, we're at, let's call it six. Let's just assume, let's assume Colorado wins. All right. Here's the final five weeks. At Ohio State, home against UCLA. At USC, home Wisconsin, at oh, Iowa. Six. Oh. oh, God. We had better win six. <laughs> Even with Dylan, we can't beat any of those schools. Maybe Iowa. Maybe Iowa. But imagine if Iowa has an offense next year. Uh, I've seen their new guy. They won't. Okay. So maybe we have a chance to win against Iowa. I, I will say USC this. USC is going to beat us. UCLA, I don't know. I don't know, though, because as we very rarely see any schools come into a new conference and just dominate. And I don't really see uh, these new Pac-12 schools as the exception. Like those Pac-12 schools, the whole thing about the Pac-12 is that they could lose to any Pac-12 team at any time That's at true. any point in the season like that's true so we could oh my god oh my god 10 wins yeah it's if we're ever gonna get hyped about that oh. now's the time to do so 10 to 11 wins because <laughs> if we do get colorado and we go and we win seven of those games and then we pick up two more and i oh my god oh my god 10 win. oh my god some hype I hate this time of year, man. I hate hoping. Hoping is my least favorite because while my heart rises, the pit of my stomach drops. <laughs> we don't have excuses this year, do we? No, we don't. Not a single one. We don't. We really don't. Oh, Jesus. I hate that. Just take me back to the last two seasons where we had the lame duck year under Mickey and then the house money year under Rule. We're back to the expecting things portion of the program. Ah! Oh, I didn't miss this. I didn't miss this part. I want it to go away again. Okay. Okay. So, so speaking of somewhere less stressful, Europe. Yes. Okay. Let's move on, and we can we can get this out of the way pretty quickly. I don't want to drag people through this too long, but I do think it's interesting. Um. So, would you like to start with? Nick's short soccer note about Liverpool, um, or would you like to start with Nick's F1 thoughts? I think let's get the Liverpool thing out of the way. Yes. Um, those of you who have followed this podcast know that I am a Liverpool fan. Uh, Liverpool has a manager. His name is Jurgen Klopp. He is a big, beautiful, uh, grouchy-looking, soft-hearted German man who gives great hugs, and he is unfortunately leaving us at the end of this season. Um the thing I think is interesting is that he is not leaving because the team is playing poorly. He is leaving uh, because he is exhausted <laughs> uh, and said so much in his press conference. He is a very tired little German man uh, who needs to take a year off to do other things and then go on to other situations. Um, I think 
we don't celebrate this as much as we should, but I like when people leave when they know when they've had enough. And like, as much as it breaks my heart, I have been a Liverpool fan under two managers. Jurgen is the second of two. And I have been a Liverpool fan for, this will be my 10th year. Um, my 10th season supporting them. No, actually, this will be my 11th because I started in 23. No, this is this is my 10th. Yeah, I started in in uh, 13. Um, and it's crazy. It's crazy. It's like what I imagine it was like when Osborne left for Nebraska fans. It's like I kind of can't picture us without this anymore. Like I remember the Brendan Rodgers years and they weren't all that bad, but they weren't that good. And like I remember, he, he developed our brand of football. He developed who we are. And I'm horrified that like maybe post Klopp we're gonna see. So I don't think it's true that we're gonna see like a huge decline. I think we are one of the most coveted jobs in the world right now, and that we will find an excellent candidate. Uh, I would like to see it be uh, Javi Alonso, Steven Gerrard, or Ange Postacoglu from Tottenham. I've actually um, heard those names before. Yeah, well, two of them were Liverpool players, right? Yes. Like Xavi and uh, and Stevie. Stevie is kind of like a, if we decide that there's no one out there right now who's perfect for the job, you put Stevie in and you wait, you know? Um, I don't think he's a great manager. I don't think he's awful, though. I think he got handed a couple tough situations. And one situation he fitted on more with, but I'm glad he didn't because I'm a fan of a rival team. Anyway, that is basically, if you know a Liverpool fan, go give them a hug. It's been a rough couple weeks, even though we're top of the league right now. Uh, Comfortably top of the league and alive in every other competition that we're playing in. Um, Also probably favorites to win the Europa League. So it's like, it's a weird, it's a weird time to be a fan. Uh, it's going to be a really emotional end to the season. And I imagine we will have like a after Jurgen leaves and after the dust settles, like, what is this? What does this mean? Pod. Um, that is our soccer update for today. Our, um, our F1 update is much more interesting and something where I'm curious of Justin's thoughts and feelings um, and any questions he might have. So basically Lewis Hamilton, the name is synonymous with the Mercedes Silver Arrows. Um, He drove for McLaren for a few years in sort of, and then him leaving McLaren basically ushers in a new era for that team. He won, and a new era for Mercedes as he won seven world championships with Mercedes. He, in a couple years ago, had a very close fight with um, Max Verstappen. Uh, who races for Red Bull, who is kind of the new Lewis Hamilton. Uh, This is, how do I put this? This is Brett Favre to the Vikings. Oh. That's a, that's sort of less praise than I thought you were going to say with this. That, not that Brett Favre didn't have some solid years with the Vikings, but that just kind of recalibrated what I thought I knew about F1. I was thinking more like this would be like if Nick Saban coached Notre Dame, you know? Um, no. Okay. 
the problematic with the Brett Favre to the Vikings analogy is that the Vikings don't have the same reputation in the NFL that Ferrari has in F1. So I guess another good example would be, and you know what, it's happened many times, and I'm sure Justin can give a specific example, a player who has a very solid career, has a couple years left, can't get paid by their team that they have like been at since they were a rookie, and as a baseball player, they say, okay, fine, I'm in free agency, I'm going to go play in New York. Yeah. Feel free to give us as many examples of that as you like. Oh and my gosh. What what probably happened to them there, because and I'm not even making fun of you, Justin, is that the Yankees then still couldn't get their shit together enough to win a championship with them there. Nope. That awesome. is probably probably what we're looking at. This also move... like we never get the guys on the up and up. We get like Josh Donaldson, Joey Gallo. Like, we just turn these guys into, like, four true outcome hitters, you know, yes, after they've had is... MVP caliber seasons in the past, you know? Yes. And, and gosh, we've even done that with, like, guys from your team, like Jacoby Ellsbury. I want to say Kevin yep. Euclid was a Yankee for a while. Like, Johnny, uh, no, Johnny Damon. Damon. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, you might have been a Yankee, too. Although, by that point, pitchers had kind of figured him out. Right, yes. like you do, you get the butt of, and this is Ferrari being the Yankees of F one. Yeah, you get the ass end of incredible careers. Um, yes. The same thing happened with Sebastian Vettel. Uh, yeah, Ferrari yeah. is Vettel. Vettel, I see the Yankee parallels with, but is Lewis really that far behind him? Like from the outsider's perspective, my thought was that like the car kind of let him down because it was just so behind what Red Bull was doing. But has he really lost that much of a step as a driver? Because, I mean, he was, like, unstoppable in, in a Mercedes, and then the rules changed, and he just couldn't compete with that car anymore. But he, he was still a good driver, no? Or was Max Verstappen just that much better? I mean, okay, uh... Short answer for everything in F1 over probably the next five years at least. Max is, in fact, built different. Okay. Um, everyone who talks about Max explains that he's built different. Uh, one of his fellow drivers basically explained that Max is the kind of driver who, if he was playing, like, Call of Duty professionally, he would have the sensitivity on his controller turned up as high as it possibly could. He likes a deeply dynamic front-endy, kind of like Max wants to feel barely in control. He likes the edge, right? There have been maybe maybe two other drivers like that that I can think of and to be frank one of them died and the other one had a coke addiction. So like <laughs> Max is an animal, right? Like he he doesn't compute. Um, and, and Lewis is like mid forties now, isn't he? Uh huh. Well, no, he's just turning forty. Ah, okay. And so this this comes the joke: every forty year old who's washed up gets a Ferrari, right? Yes. It's no different in F one. Uh, same thing happened to Vettel. Same thing happened. Uh, you know, Alonso had his time at Ferrari earlier. Basically, like the Yankees. Um, all roads lead to Ferrari, and everyone who's a 
uh, everyone who's a racing fan is either at their core a McLaren fan or a Ferrari fan in the way that in baseball everyone is a Sox fan or a Yankee fan you know who you want to win that game you do I don't care who you are you do and the thing is it's similar in as baseball too where it's like all of the people who are Mercedes fans all the people who are Red Bull fans all the people who are almost fans of almost every other team with the exception of one or two are McLaren fans in that rivalry and Ferrari fans plus Alfa Romeo fans, which is basically a subsidiary of Ferrari who are going to be like stake F1 team next year. It's a mess. Um, and then like Haas fans. Yeah. Are, so, are Ferrari fans. So Lewis's run with Mercedes is kind of like the Astros where it's like just some team comes, I don't want to say out of nowhere, but like goes on a run, but it doesn't really affect the foundational building blocks of what people follow the sport by. Cause it, it all comes back to Ferrari <laughs> and McLaren, despite what Mercedes or Red Bull can do. Um, I would say it's, yeah, I see parallels there. It's different though, because <clears throat> everyone decided basically in about, 2012-ish, everyone got pissed off. Everyone who wasn't working for Red Bull during those, what I think it was four or five years of Red Bull dominance, got frustrated with the fact that they weren't at Red Bull. So Mercedes was formed as the coalition to stop Red Bull. So Ross Braun starts Braun GP before Mercedes is even interested in entering as a manufacturer. He basically single-handedly convinces Mercedes to pick them up. And who does he get to be one of their first drivers? Michael Schumacher. Oh, yeah. And he, he's like the goat of all goats, isn't he? Lewis is the only guy oh. who can challenge him, ain't it? Lewis is now the goat of all goats. Okay. No world in which you can say Shumi was better than Lewis because Shumi's cars were probably better than Lewis's cars compared to the field. This was the era of Ferrari dominance, right? Yeah. Ferrari dominance ends, Red Bull dominance picks up. And then Schumacher says, okay, I can't stand these Red Bull guys. They don't like me. I don't like them. Because they formed the coalition to stop him. And all of the things that Ferrari was doing. So he says, fine, Ferrari can't get their crap together. I've always struggled with these people. You know, I'm very, very German. They are very, very Italian. And we are having very German versus Italian struggles as a coupling here, right? Man, Houston's getting shellacked. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's the game I flipped over to as well. <laughs> um, so how do I say this? Where we're at now is that Lewis is like, all right, Mercedes has crumbled. Here's a critical fact. Lewis has seen everything about the car this year, right? Lewis has seen all of Mercedes' internal documents. Lewis understands the direction of this project. Um, Interestingly, his rhetoric for the last year or two has been in a very different place than his bosses. Um, Both of his main bosses, Toto Wolff being the biggest one, is... um, both of his bosses have basically said, we expect that instead of working so hard, we get burnt out. We are bored. And we expect to get bored of this before we decide 
okay, you know, we're done. Lewis has basically said, I am going to drive until my body can't take it anymore. Or my mind can't take it anymore. My wow. hot take is that his his mind will, will slip first. Um, there's a famous quote um, from, I believe, Ayrton Senna that says, if you don't go for a gap that exists, you are no longer a racing car driver. I think that is going to happen to Lewis. At a certain point, he's going to say, I am not going to drive a tractor around the back of the pack. So, so far, I've been fairly negative about this move. And I want to kind of make a shift because I think even if you don't think it's going to work out, which I don't, no one's stopping Red Bull for five years. They're too far ahead. They're going to stay too far ahead. The sport clearly wants them to, to be impressive for a while. They think that these runs of dominance are actually good for the sport long term. I think that's crazy. Um, I also think they recognize it's more lucrative for them, right? Uh, like, Okay, so we were cut off somewhere in there. Nick just unloaded a lot of lore onto me. So <laughs> I, am, I am learning things here. And I'm going to uh, pick my uh, follow-ups accordingly. I don't even remember where we left off. I've, I've been processing things. But, but from what I've gathered, uh, you're talking about how F1 likes how Red Bull is uh, unprecedentedly dominant, not unprecedented, just unrivaled in the sport at this current moment. And they think that some guy who wins every race and gets this big amount of wins every year is a good thing because number big. Wow. And Lewis yeah, F1, the company likes that a lot. Yeah. I can't for the life of me think why they think that makes a good product. But then again, I am a college football fan who believes that everybody in charge of college football does not understand why it's such a good product. So I guess there's probably something there where they like the money that comes with a Red Bull dominant thing, just as people like the money that comes from having USC play Ohio State more times than not so yeah despite the sense it may make to an outsider who doesn't have spreadsheet brain so anyways you mentioned that that was going to be like for the indefinite future like for the next five years especially since mercedes as you mentioned can't get its car together and uh no one really seems to have that dog in them still at mercedes to uh fix that thing so Lewis going to Ferrari, that probably means he likes their machine. He likes the vision better, even though you mentioned Lewis might not be the hungry, you know, driver who's out to prove himself because he's already the goat of all goats. So this would just be kind of a bringing a championship to the Yankees late career or retiring, you know, giving the biggest fan base in the sport something to believe in. Mm -hmm. So... Where I'm going with this is... Oh my god, Mbappe to Real Madrid? Are we going to need an addendum after this segment to react no, to that? because I don't know enough. Oh my god, France is going to burn down. <laughs> oh my anyway, god. Anyway, I'm sorry, I was just watching the, like, scroller on the TV. Jeez, that didn't get the breaking news banner, but Zach Levine's injury for the 10th place Bulls did? That was weird. That was really weird. Okay. Yeah. Um, so my question after all that is, 
is this just sort of purely a cosmetic move where some people can feel sort of good about being in a Ferrari or being a Ferrari fan or just tuning into races where Ferrari's involved because let's see what Lewis is about. Or is there something on the horizon when the formula's up next that could balance the playing scales in favor of something that's not all Red Bull all the time? Um, that's what remains to be seen. Like, you you are a good reporter. You ask the right questions. This is the question that we, we don't know. Um, Lewis could have one of two motivations, as I see it. The first motivation is he doesn't see anything going on in the Ferrari garage or in the Mercedes garage that he likes enough to keep him around. The other question is, does he see something in the Ferrari garage that he likes enough to go over there? What I think he probably sees is Ferrari recently got a new um, team principal. That team principal has a lot to prove and a lot to prove relatively quickly. He needs to take the fight to Red Bull to re retain his job because yeah. Ferrari have made very clear that they need to put together another championship soon. Or, or what is not exactly clear, right? But like Ferrari are in like, let's say 2010 levels Husker crisis mode, Polini years crisis mode. Yeah, which is not really crisis mode if you know what crisis mode is, <laughs> uh, because that is like what Williams have been in, right? Like, yeah, I think the fear for Ferrari is that if they don't pull off this crisis mode, they are in a Williams style crisis mode. Yeah. Um. Now they can probably recruit a lot better than Williams can. Uh, like like I said, everyone is a Ferrari fan. That matters a lot. Uh, it matters a lot not just with drivers. It matters a lot with mechanics. Um, Italian car mechanics are the people who learned how to build F1 cars. It's it's them and the Brits, right, are the only people who know how to do this, truly. Other people have learned. The Germans have caught up. The French have always been there. But, like, the greatest cars in this sport of all time come from those two nations. And I guess if you want to be technical – McLaren is a team from New Zealand because Bruce McLaren was from New Zealand. But his racing pedigree is British, right? Given all of that, I think you gotta be like I, I think you gotta recognize that like Ferrari can long term and wants to short term recruit the best of the best in terms of engineers. Here's the other thing. Lewis has control over his people at Mercedes. He doesn't have control over all of Mercedes, but what he can do is take all of his people to Ferrari. And at worst, he has the exact same control of the exact same things. So yeah. one of the, I sent you a really great article from the race about this. And one yes. of the subheads was, I think nothing, nothing risk, nothing gained or something like that. And I think mm -hmm. that sums up how I feel about this. Lewis still backs himself. That's another thing that they said in that article is like, Lewis still thinks he's, he's, capable of challenging four titles you don't move from this position unless you think you're capable of winning races you don't think you're capable of winning races without thinking that you're capable of winning enough to win a title at some point otherwise he'd retire and he'd go yeah. race somewhere else and he'd go do some other damn thing and there's plenty of things that he wants to do but clearly he thinks this story isn't finished i think he'd like to 
he'd like to at least retire during a fight. He'd probably like to retire after winning another great battle with Max. Winning, because here's the other thing. If he had beat Max that season, he might have taken some time off or he might have retired altogether. Yeah. But that left him angry. It left him hungry. It left him sad. It made him feel like he has tied Schumacher in terms of how many he has won. He hasn't beaten him in Shumi's team. Yeah. One more. And here's the other thing. Ayrton Senna wanted to go to Ferrari and died before he could. Senna and Schumacher are Hamilton's two greatest role models. Without them, you know, he wouldn't be racing. He says so as much himself, particularly Senna um, and his connection to the people of Brazil and like Hamilton's connection to Brazil. Um, Brazil has weirdly been where everything like it feels like he has Senna's blessing from beyond. I think the other thing that Hamilton feels is like, well, Shumi, through no fault of F1s, he is wheelchair bound and 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 not able to come out into the public. Senna's dead. He has to be the elder statesman of the sport. And if the elder statesman of the sport is just rolling around because Alonso can't do it because Alonso made everyone way too mad. Right? This is a time where F1 needs an ambassador. And if we had more time and if this was an F1 podcast, I would get into why that is. I think it's best to leave that lie for now. Um, We can probably chat again after winter testing and do like an F1 season preview if we want. And then maybe we'll get into some of those broader, more structural issues. But, but, But Lewis doesn't actually become a Ferrari until 2025 yes but it looms so here's the other thing we got to talk about it's it's not like any other sport in that he's half the team this is like if the entire defense of the this is like if the entire chiefs defense said that they were going to move to the 49ers next year after like losing the super bowl or whatever, right? Yeah. So that means that basically something only replicated sort of by the coaching carousel is about to be set off. Ah, so, so, right. Like, yeah, Mercedes is going to fill his spot. Then the person whose spot they choose to fill him is going to open up another spot that gets filled. And then <laughs> yep. next thing you know, and not to mention, Carlos Sainz, very talented kind of mid-career driver, is about to leave his dream seat at Ferrari. Yeah. And he is going to be pissed because this is the second time he's been chosen as a second driver, and it's the second time he's been kicked because he'd been chosen as a second yeah. driver. And y- y- Carlos? Do you think, think Leclerc is going to vibe with being the number two man? Claire's not going to think he is the number two man. Oh, okay. Claire's still convinced he's the number one. And that Lewis has been brought in so that we can learn from him. Claire is the most arrogant son of a gun ever to breathe oxygen. And he's not, he, he doesn't have any shit. So what happens? Here's, here's my question. This is, okay, here's my hot take, actually. Lewis Hamilton just signed the paperwork that will end Charles Leclerc's sad little F1 career. Lewis, Lewis, last year, here's another important factor. 
was regularly being outdriven by his teammate George Russell. Yeah. A very talented young driver likely going to win a championship in his time in F1 if he can play his cards right. Super talented, growing a lot year over year, learning a lot year over year. I think he right now is a sharper driver than Lewis. Oh. Now, with him, you don't get a bunch of other things you get from Lewis. You get the brand recognition from Lewis. You get the name recognition from Lewis. You get the, like... (laughs) Pedigree, right? It's like what the Vikings got when they got Brett Favre. Known yes. quantity, important to your quarterback's room, right? Important to your coaching staff, important to your league-wide relevance. Yes, it huge that he wants to come play for you. Exactly. It's it's like when Brady moved to the Buccaneers after he he had a very disappointing playoff exit. His last pass as a Patriot was a pick six to the Titans of all teams. Yeah, but he was good enough to win a championship with the Bucks because he was kind of the plug and play they needed at that position. He, and he was still excellent in his age. So I don't, that's not really a one to one thing. But, no, like, but that's that's what Ferrari are gambling. Yes. That in two years, their car is going to be a plug and play incredible driver away from fighting with Red Bull. And Lewis doesn't want a team to hand him a victory. But Lewis wants a team that can give him a fight. Yes. It... Okay. <laughs> wow. So, so any any other initial thoughts on Mbappe to Real Madrid? So the funny thing about Mbappe is that the French Prime Minister has dead ass like asked him to stay in France. He's like, Macron? it is important to the health of this country. Macron has been like, you owe it to this country, you owe a debt of gratitude. And here's the other thing. So Mbappe and the French national team did a lot for uh, politics in France. It brought a lot of energy and optimism back to French politics that I think is really interesting, particularly because, as many people were very quick to point out, the French national team was, like, not French. I'll leave that there. Like, that's a touchy topic, and people get upset about it. Losing both Messi and Mbappe from PSG in relatively rapid succession is not a good look for that side. Including um, Messi to the MLS of all things. Oh. I, see, I, I remember is, we I had think... an episode where like after Messi was upset with Barcelona and I brought up the idea, is, is Messi going to get a victory lap tour in the MLS? And you were like, no, he is way too good for that. Yet here we are where he is spending like Wednesday nights playing Columbus crew and Austin FC. What I didn't see was, what I didn't see coming was Inter-Miami. Yeah. What I didn't see coming was David Beckham building this to be the ideal landing spot for Messi. What I didn't see was Messi's wish to do brand endorsements in the United States. I I was short-sighted on that from a sports business perspective, and you gotta forgive me because I'm only a fan, but like... And also, Messi just won the World Cup, so he has nothing left to prove to anybody. If he no. just wants to party in Miami world... for the rest of his life, like. <laughs> so, if you get the chance, Justin, I strongly recommend you watch the Beckham documentary that came out on Netflix. It's phenomenal. And one of the things that they talk about is that when Beckham went to the MLS, he stopped getting minutes um, on the English national team because basically his coaches were like, you're a fucking joke now. Yeah. Because the MLS 
full offense is a joke league. Full offense. Thank Thank you guys so much. XOXO Gossip Girl. The MLS has the reigning Ballon d'Or winner playing for them, okay? Shut up. Shut up. That's more than most leagues around the world can say. With the yeah, MLS. Okay, has... that's that's great. And 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 the freaking um baseball team that Michael Jordan played for had a reigning champion on their squad, right? Like, don't give me that. You might as well be playing a different sport if you don't have promotion and relegation. And that's what makes me so mad, is that it could be the best league in the world, and it actively chooses not to be to enrich the owners. I'm I'm with you there. Pro rel. I I'm a pro rel believer in every sport, but I think it's the easiest to implement in a U.S. soccer. It's actually fight. been harder not to implement it than it would have been to implement it. Exactly. All right, that's probably a good note to end it on. Um, is there anything else we want to talk about? Is there a time that we know we'll be back? The off season is pretty erratic. I don't know. I, I think maybe closer to March, if the wheels haven't completely f- fell off, we'll do a bubble yeah. watch pod where I'll be talking bubble about watch. teams like Wake Forest and uh, Memphis and Seton Hall and how their resumes compare to ours, which is obviously superior to all these other teams that are like mid-pack in their conferences. That's going to be a, a rollicking time if if we're in that position. Yeah, let's hope we're in that position. We hope to see you for, for from both the scheduling and from a basketball perspective. We hope to see you for a bubble watch pod. Yes. All right. Hey, always good to talk to you. And uh, take care, listeners. Yay. Later. Later.